Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Second Act Actors. I'm your host, Dr. Janet McMorty, and I'm still a medical doctor simultaneously to run and pursue a career in acting. My guest this week is Netta Rose. They are a teacher turned actor. And I had already recorded my intro and outro for this episode. And then Netta and I got to be in a short film together this past weekend. And I felt I needed to re-record this because they are, oh, I'm going to get emotional. They are one of my favorite scene partners I've ever had. The way we both connected, we played a couple. Spoiler alert. The way we both connected, we have been getting feedback from the crew on how incredibly wonderful our chemistry was. And when you watch this episode, you will see how much of a joy they are. They are absolutely incredible. What a joy it was to spend time on set with them. And now to reflect back on this interview I had with them. Please enjoy Netta Rose. Tell me your story. How did you get into this crazy industry? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So <clears throat> so I, I'm sort of like a sandwich second act actor uh, insofar as I started acting really young. Uh, my dad's an actor. My mom was in the industry. I was like I was a theater kid. And um, and it was all I ever wanted to do was, was be an actor um, from the age of five is the earliest that I can remember. Uh, I went to see my dad in a production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat at the Leia Poslin's Theater, which sadly no longer exists, up at Bathurst and Steeles. And there's a photo of me in the dressing room. My five-year-old with, like, curly red hair, and I'm wearing a, a red velvet dress with hearts on it. I'm so excited to be backstage because it's magical. So f- from that point on, all I wanted to do is be an actor. Um And I wouldn't say I pursued it with any kind of uh, diligence or ferocity as a young person. I wanted to, I like, it's, it's all I wanted to do. It was like a fire in my belly, but um, I don't think I knew exactly how to go about that. Uh, So I got my first agent when I was eight, you know, my dad's agency signed me. I don't really remember if anything ever came of that. Um, And then I eventually went into a pre-professional high school training program, I was in the drama program, uh, the Claude Watson Arts program at Earl Hague Secondary School in Toronto with a bunch of amazing actors. And uh, and the agent of one of my classmates came to see one of our shows. She scouted me. I got signed. Again, not, not a ton came from it. But, you know, I did. I was in one feature. I auditioned for some commercials, a couple of indies here and there. And um, and the plan was I was going to go to theater school. That was always the plan. That I, you know, I was one of the top in my class. And I loved it so much. And I was going to audition and go to the National Theatre School. And then grade 12 rolled around. And it was time to start applying for universities and and colleges and theatre schools. And for many reasons, I I didn't apply. I didn't audition. Uh, 
you know, looking back now, if I try to boil down those reasons, um, it was partly financial. I was really scared of the financial instability. Um, you know, I had grown up with a fair amount of financial instability with uh, single parents who were in the business. And um, I was really scared of taking that risk. I also at the time didn't know all the ways an actor's career could look. I just thought of waiting by the phone for your agent to call and that lack of that lack of agency and autonomy over my career was so frightening to me. Um, I also didn't know all the ways that actors could be. You know, I'd met a lot of people at that point with egos and God, I don't want to be around these people. <laughs> I want to be around nice, grounded people. I want to become a nice, grounded adult. Um, so there were lots of reasons. You know, and I was getting messaging from some family members that this was not a responsible path to take. And there were other things I loved. Um, I was always drawn to, to history, you know, cultural history, material history. And um, so eventually I ended up doing, uh, starting, I should say, starting a history degree. I moved out to Halifax. I started a history degree at Dalhousie, ended up doing a lot of that over at the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design, studying art history, became really interested in art and design and cultural history, eventually moved to Scotland. That wasn't far enough away, so I moved up to the Scottish Highlands. <laughs> I lived in the Scottish Highlands over two years. Look, over the next, uh, say, like the 12 years between 18, when I decided not to go to theater school, and 30, when I eventually went back to acting and committed myself to this career, I have had every other job I ever thought I might want, and a whole lot that I absolutely did not. I have worked in a bookstore. I've been a bartender. I've been a tour guide of multiple stripes. Sometimes I wore a costume while I was doing it. Uh, I was a drama teacher for a long time. I thought that that's what I was going to do. Um, it was not, but yeah, I was good at it. It was something I tried. What else? I, I was a concierge in a fancy hotel. I also cleaned toilets in another hotel. Um, I have worked at banks. I have worked at law firms. I worked for the Ministry of Heritage for a while. There was a very bizarre two-year period where I was a producer of digital media for Global TV Canada. Janet, I know nothing about digital media. Nothing. <laughs> you know, we talk about imposter syndrome. Everybody has imposter syndrome all the time, but sometimes you're just actually an imposter, and I was. Those... 10, 12 years of my life were really strange because it was a time of trying whatever I could to be happy and feel like I had landed in the right life and nothing fit. Even the jobs I was good at, even the relationships that I had that were good, it was a long period of of feeling like I was very much in the wrong life. Um, and when I was 30, there were a lot of changes in my personal life, my professional life. Um, I quit the last full-time job that I have had and that I ever hoped to have. And um, and I decided to go back to acting. And it was so different this time around, you know, to, to know that I was ready for it, to know that I had paid my bills as an adult for over a decade doing a million different things that I was either good at or managed to convince people I was good at. So... I know that I'll be able to pay my rent. Mm. That's really changed my relationship to that scarcity mentality that we have as actors. And I, you know, I, I know who I am a lot more now. I can't imagine the kind of actor I would have been at 18. I think I probably would have burned out and left and not come back. Mm. Yeah. It's a very long roundabout way of saying it, oh. but yeah. And I think like, do you think it was 
Oh, there's, I have so many questions. Um, okay, let's do it. The, the idea of financial insecurity that you had and then now has that like quote unquote resolved or like was that like what yeah like was that a big piece like you even you mentioned it right like about how you you've been paying your bills like you're a capable person in the eyes of society you're done now you can do whatever you <laughs> capitalism. want. Capitalism. Yeah, I did a capitalism. Did Hooray. Hooray. <laughs> now you can do whatever you want because you did it. Like, I, like what? what is that? Do you know, what was the big financial shift for you? Because that's something that and I think I'm more asking this out of a bit of selfishness because I grew up with immense financial insecurity yeah. and was a huge part in the reason of why I did what I did. Like, what was that shift for you? You know, it I it was definitely more mental than, you know, oh I've I've put away enough money. I have savings. I can go be an actor. I, I do not have the savings. Spoiler. Um actually that's not true. I have good savings. I've become a financially responsible adult, which is a nice thing to be able to say. Um I think the biggest thing, honestly, was trying to have full time jobs, trying to have a job with a good salary and benefits and being so desperately unhappy. You know, people, there's that thing that you always hear in, in theater school or, you know, relatives who just don't want you to be an actor say, if you can do anything else, don't be an actor. And I thought that applied to me because I was good at a lot of other things. I was even interested and loved a lot of other things. I was so passionate about about history. So the time that I spent in the folklore industry and being a tour guide and being a cultural heritage writer, that was fulfilling in a lot of ways. Nothing made me feel like I was living the right life. Mm. And there was no amount of money that advantage that. In fact, the, so uh, one of the last full-time jobs I had, um, the second last full-time job I had was the working for Global TV. And I had at that point the highest salary I had ever had. I know now it was still very low. But for me, it was a massive amount of money. I had very good benefits. And I was so scared about money all the time because I knew I was going to earn the same amount every month. And so if I spent anything on any kind of luxury on a trip, whatever. How was I going to make that back? I was going to make the same amount every month. And so it just, it felt like I was always playing catch up, weirdly, which maybe doesn't make sense mathematically, but that's how it felt in my head. Um, and I was unhappy. And so none of it, none of the, the money was bringing me joy. I spent money, not recklessly. I don't think I've ever been that person, but, you know, I was out for lunch every day because my coworkers and I would go out and, you know, drink wine at lunch and go to gastro pubs where the burgers were 25 bucks and talk about how much we hated our jobs. Yeah. Sorry, Global TV. Um, you know, it wasn't for me. Um, and, and so what changed when I, when I quit my last full-time job, I think a few things is that um, I realized that being a freelancer really suits me. It suits the way my brain works. It suits the way I like to live my life. Mm -hmm. Autonomy is very important to me. I don't like somebody else to own my time. Mm -hmm. I am happy to give my time to people and projects for however long, as long as it's finite. And I know that at the end of the day, my time is my own. The idea of somebody else owning my time in perpetuity was so deeply upsetting to me. Yeah. And, um, and there was no salary and no benefits that was going to fix that. So that's part of it. My relationship with time changed. And I think as somebody like you who'd grown up with a lot of financial instability, 
the idea of debt was so terrifying to me, mm-hmm. which is why spending any of that money that I had, I did it because I was unhappy and I was looking for things to to fill the void. <laughs> but it didn't it didn't help. When I found that the money I was earning came from work that I loved, uh, it felt a lot less like ill-gotten gains, and I felt differently about spending it. And I did. I mean, this is not to say I spent. I spent. I, I do have. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I need to say this for my mother. I I have multiple savings accounts, and I put money in it all the time. They're earning interest. Don't worry. Um, but I suddenly became a lot more generous with myself and with others. I think specifically because of the um, ephemerality of money when you're a freelancer. Yes. I thought, okay, well, so I have money right now. My, you know, I'll put this chunk away, make sure rent is paid, make sure there's something for next month if I don't get another gig. But what's left over? What am I going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy myself something I like. I'm going to take a trip somewhere I want to go. I'm going to offer to buy my friends around mm. when we're at the bar because why not? Mm. Because what else is that money going to do? And if I, you know, don't make much money for the next few months, okay, so I may have to use a line of credit. My relationship with debt really changed. Mm. And that was a huge struggle for me um, to say, okay, yes, sometimes I'm going to put things on a credit card and not pay it off right away. The horror. Um, But I think I was just holding on less tightly. Like as a freelancer, I know money comes and money goes. Mm. There are lean periods and there are fat periods. And... It doesn't mean you blow it all when you have it. Absolutely not. Or at least that's not what I want to do. But I stopped holding on so tight to everything, knowing that there will be continual ebbs and flows for the rest of my life, because this is the type of career. This is the career I want to have for the rest of my life. So much of what you're saying just comes down to that scarcity mentality that mm-hmm. we, were, we are raised in, in this, uh, I can soapbox my way all the way <laughs> to money if we want about the patriarchy. But, uh, yep. but, but so many things that you just said, and you even, just, you even said scarcity mentality, right? The whole idea mm-hmm. of you have to go only into acting and nothing else. Or you yeah. have to, right? Like there's a finite amount of resources and feelings and emotions yep. and money in this world, and if you use yep. it, you can't get it back, or you're taking it away from yourself and others, when yes. it sounds like what has happened for you when you found what your life is supposed should be, is that's the exact opposite. Absolutely. That's been my experience, right? for sure. Ugh. So much, mm. so, so much abundance. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to Bring back something that I mentioned before, which is that at 18, um, when I decided not to audition for theater school, um, I didn't know all the different ways you could have a life as an actor. I imagine, you know, just sitting by the phone and waiting, waiting for your agent to call and waiting for somebody to choose you. And, oh, boy, is that rooted in a scarcity mentality. Mm-hmm. How do you love your community when you feel like you're fighting for the scraps? How do you be a good community member? How do you be friends with other actors? And I remember walking into auditions when I was 17 years old and like every other pale redhead sitting there kind of glaring at each other going like, which of us is going to get this? That's a shitty way to live. And so in addition to just finding like internally, I am happier. I love being a freelancer. I'm ready for this. I have other ways I can earn money. I also know all the different ways you can make a career as a performer that don't involve just sitting by the phone and waiting for somebody to pick you. Mm. You know, one of the things I did kind of in my transition back to acting, you know, as I started to work in the arts again, but I wasn't quite ready to act, 
I was a theater producer. I was an indie theater producer for a few years. I was really good at it. I wrote a lot of grants and I worked with a lot of really creative people who are making their own work. And so now that's something that I know how to do as well. And I've written successful grants to create my own work. I write. Um, yeah, I'm a published poet is another thing that I am able to do with the skill that I have. I also do facilitation. I host trivia, <laughs> you know, all the things that you can do with the skill set that we have. Um that are so much fun and that feed that, you know, acting monster that wants to be fed and that pay the rent, you know? So I'm going through an interesting transition right now where I, I am trying to take sort of the next step in my career. I want to start working in film and television more because most of my, uh, most of the work I've done has been in theater. And for the first time in a long time, I'm feeling that scarcity mentality again, that feeling of, oh, people might not choose me. I might not be good enough. And I'm having to hear myself say these things and take a step back and call my therapist because I don't, I don't want to make any moves based on that scarcity mentality, mm-hmm. you know? And I think at least for me, because my background has been in theater, and so theater is the known quantity for me. I understand for, for some theater might be scarier. For me, film and TV is much scarier. Not uh, not as a performer. I know I'm good at what I do. That's fine. And I'll, I'll learn the, the technique, you know, and, and what it's like on set and how to hit my mark and all of that. Um, but what's scary for me is that it feels like a very closed industry, mm-hmm. whereas theater feels very communal to me. Mm-hmm. And so as I contemplate trying to just make moves more in that direction. Um, I'm starting to feel like a very young actor again. Mm-hmm. And it's forcing me to to reckon with these things. But I'm glad that with the years I have on me and the life experience I have, I can at least recognize that that's what's coming up and know that that's not how I want to, that's not how I want to go into it. Yeah. I don't want to have anything predicated on scarcity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I think that, like scarcity, I find leads to, at least in my research on it, but also f- being in it as well, too, is that is the desperation, right? Like it's like, oh, well, how can it not? Right. When you feel like your time, energy and money are scarce, you get desperate. Mm-hmm. And then that desperation mm-hmm. turns into competition or anger or rage or just, uh, you know, yeah. feeling burnt out or resentful. And then that doesn't fuel not only yourself, but doesn't fuel the community of people around you who are also feeling scarcity. And then they feel it. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse. Absolutely. Absolutely. Take me back to the decision to say to yourself, I want to do acting again. What was that Mm -hmm. decision? Was it based on something? Was there a flip moment? What happened? There sure was. I can tell you the exact minute oh that it happened. Okay. So I need to give you a piece of context um, a little bit uh, about my personal life. Because I said, the, the year that I decided to go back to acting was a time of major change. So as part of um, as part of that decade in my 20s, where I tried all the other lives and none of them fit, um, that included personal relationships. And so I had been married in my 20s to a wonderful person who was just, it was not the right relationship for me. And... Um, and so in September of 2017, um, I made the decision to end that marriage, which is not a decision that I made lightly. Um, but making that decision was the first time in a long time, in, a lo- in, in my whole adult life, that I had felt that click of, oh, you've said something true. You've made an authentic choice, mm-hmm. right? My whole 20s was striving 
for that, for what will feel like my real life, what will feel authentic, and trying and trying and trying and trying a million different things. And none of them felt right, but I kept trying. Mm -hmm. But when I decided to end my marriage, that was the first time that I felt undeniably in my body and my soul, okay, you said something true. And so that kind of flicked a switch in my brain. It's like, okay, I want more of that. I want more of that feeling of authenticity. That's what I've been looking for this whole time. Um, and so the fall of 2017, having ended my marriage, um, was very raw. I think of it now as like, it was a forest fire. I had burned down everything. The ground was very fertile and I was very tired. So about six weeks, five or six weeks after ending my marriage, I had gone to see a play by myself in Toronto at, uh, at Aki Studio in the East End. Uh, the play was Other Side of the Game by Amanda Paris. And I was sitting in the front row. It's a brilliant one-act play about uh, Black women's relationship with the carceral system. Uh, and I was sitting in the front row watching this play, and I was watching Virgilia Griffith give the most brilliant performance I had ever seen. And all of a sudden, midway through the show, like, oh my God, she's so good. Oh my God, I used to be good. Oh God, I want to do that. Oh my God, I want to do that. Oh my God. And I started to have a panic attack, but I couldn't leave because I was by myself in the front row of a small studio theater and it was a one act play and there was no intermission and I did not want to disrupt this brilliant piece of theater that I was watching. So I sat on my hands and I dug my nails into my thighs and I bit my cheeks and I cried and I cried and I cried and watched the rest of this play and just marveled at Virgilia's incredible performance. And when it was over, I got back on my bike and I was biking home along, <clears throat> I was biking home along college back to the West End. And I'm crying and the tears are streaming off my face as I'm biking. And I'm thinking, okay, when I get home, I'm going to let myself have the world's biggest anxiety attack. I'm just going to curl into a ball and die. Because what was coming up wasn't, oh, wow, how wonderful. I finally realized that I'm ready to pursue acting. What was coming up was, I can't believe I've wasted the last decade of my life. I knew at 18 that this is what I wanted to do, and I spent 10, 12 years not doing it deliberately. What an idiot. So much self-hatred was coming up. I was so angry with myself, and I was grieving. Like, so suddenly, it was all the grief of the last decade was coming up. And so I made it home, and I got up to my apartment, and was running the hot shower and pouring the glass of wine, and I was really ready to drink wine in the shower and just be a complete mess and I had this thought all of a sudden, and it was maybe, you know, the same part of my brain that had given me the courage to end a relationship that was very wonderful, but not for me. It was like, okay, what if this is just information? You know, what if this isn't the end of the world? What if this isn't a judgment? What if this is just information? Okay, now you know that you want to go back to acting. Okay, now you have that information. What do you do with that information? And the part of me that wanted to rush ahead and have everything happen now is like, well, I should, I should call my old agent and I have to get headshots and I've lost so much time and everybody that I was in school with went to NTS and they're all, oh God. And for whatever reason that I am eternally grateful for, I didn't end up having the big panic attack that I was expecting. I kind of calmed down, drank the wine, took the shower and wrote out a list of steps I could take when I was ready. And knew that I didn't have to take them all that night. That the first step, the 
biggest step that I had been waiting for 12 years to take was just to know that I was ready. So I sat with that knowledge for the next few weeks, maybe a month. And eventually I got in touch with my old agent and asked if she would consider signing me back. And she did. And eventually I got headshots and eventually I quit my last full-time job ever that I have had. And eventually I started auditioning again. I did my first audition for for a fabulous theater company in Toronto where, you know, a friend was directing the show and she was generous enough to give me feedback because it was my first audition in, in a decade. And eventually I auditioned again and eventually I started booking work and eventually I committed myself to being an actor full time. But it came kind of gently in those waves because I finally was ready not to put pressure on myself to have everything happen right away. And so now, even as I'm, you know, contemplating trying to put more focus into filming TV and it feels really scary and it makes me feel young in a way that doesn't feel good, you know, makes me feel really insecure and vulnerable. And, you know, I'm looking at people who are my age who've been, who started at the same time as me. And, and of course, you know, we're in totally different places because we're different people with different lives. And there's that part of me that wants to say, oh, fucking, I'm a failure. Or there's that part of me that wants to say, okay, well, what, how do I do it right now? And I remember there's time. Holy shit. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting because the vein travels through so many people that I talk to on this podcast, that feeling that we are behind mm-hmm. in this race yeah. or we're catching the train that's left the station and we're like trying to catch up with it because... People who've been in this industry since they were babies are now doing great things or they're burnt out and don't do it anymore uh, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, for the most part. But there's that feeling of, I've yeah, I've wasted my t- my time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny because I, I can't remember who actually said it to me first. I, I want to say it was Jesse Griffiths, one of the casting directors I've had on this show. And I told him that like that's a big fear that a lot of, quote, second act actors have is that we've just wasted time. And now what? Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, what? He's like, that's insane. He's like, the life experience you have gained is yes. insane. Exactly. Like, what? He's like, that just doesn't disappear in a puff of smoke when you decide to change careers. Oh. <laughs> oh, all right. Oh, I'm a whole human oh, and I right. bring that to acting. Yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> like, so have you noticed, like, have you been able to whole your incredible career journeys that you've had now into this new acting career oh yeah oh yeah Yeah, absolutely and I mean there are the you know the the sort of technical ways in which you know I have all these other skills and and I can speak to these experiences and when they're looking for a for you know a certain type a certain part oh well I've lived that I've done that but I think the bigger thing is is the less tangible part um, is that I'm I'm not relying on acting to give me my identity. Like, and and strangely, that comes along at the same time that I know finally I've landed in the place I'm supposed to be, and that I'm an actor, and that is actually who I am. So, acting, being an actor, is my identity. But I got to that by knowing exactly who I was, which has made it all the more surprising and vulnerable and scary to find these same thoughts coming up again now as I start to make more moves in, in uh, you know, on camera. 
because I thought I was done with it. And this is the thing that I've had to remind myself um, that we're never done with any of it. We're never done with insecurity, never done with the scarcity mentality. It's bread in the bone. It will come up over and over again. And I think that's the wonderful thing about having spent time out of the industry, having had whole other lives, whole other careers out of the industry is we have enough perspective, you know, to be able to say, okay, this is coming up. Great. I lived through a lot before this. I'll I'll live through this insecurity. Yes. This is just information. Like you said. It's just information. Yeah. And in the moment, it feels like it has a huge amount of meaning and it feels like it defines you. I will say that again. It feel it I felt like it defined me when this came up four days ago. Janet, the timing of this recording is perfect. Um (laughs) I was feeling so insecure and I was beating myself up for it. What What's wrong with me? Why couldn't I articulate myself? Why was I feeling so insecure, so vulnerable? I've dealt with this. I know, like, I know that I've not wasted time. I know that I'm not behind. I know that I'm where I ought to be. I know I would not be the same person and certainly not the same actor that I am had I gone to theater school at 18. And I've dealt with all that. We've done that therapy. So why is this coming up again? And in the moment, I was, again, I was angry at myself. And I thankfully thank you, two years of therapy, was able to take a step back and go, oh, okay, that's information. Why do I feel this way? Well, because I'm starting something new and starting something new is really vulnerable. And I have to admit there are things I don't know and that doesn't feel good because I have predicated a part of my identity on being somebody who is confident and able and independent and has done everything alone, which is not even true. That's bullshit anyway, but you know, there's that part of us that that wants to hang on, right? You got to experience a little bit of ego death every time you do something new. Yeah. And luckily, I have a lot of experience with ego death. So it's, it feels terrible in the moment and then you deal with it. It's funny because I was just laughing in my head because I was thinking about, about so we just clicked. There's not many things. So I come, I'm a very logical brained you know, mm-hmm. follow these steps until you get to the end. All the puzzle pieces will fit and then you have a complete puzzle. It There's not many things outside of like mental health, <laughs> therapy, and I think acting where you can take steps forward and then a step backwards and it's not a failure. It's just a yes. thing that occurs we as logical humans and me as a like very science brain person sees, you know, why am I feeling this rage? I've worked on my rage. I should have. I already <laughs> yes. got that Girl Scout badge. Why do I have it again? Right. Yeah. But there, yeah. There, and there's the the acting and and the mental health and emotions. I'm like, I'm trying to think of other things that are like that. There's not much. <laughs> so it's, it can be totally seen as a failure. Because I'm like, I don't like taking yeah. stuff backwards. Exactly. Exactly. It feels bad. I don't like it. It feels bad and I don't want it. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. Stamp my foot like a little toddler. Exactly. Yeah. I've had to, um, I've had to think a lot about the Mm nonlinearity of life, the nonlinearity of grief and of art. Um, It has been, okay, reframe. Um, Tell you a little bit more about my personal life to give you some more context. So, uh, in addition to ending my marriage, going back to theater, what happened over the next couple of years of that kind of big transitional period was I also came out as queer 
and figured out finally that I was non-binary, mm-hmm. which is something that I had been searching for and struggling with unconsciously my entire life. And that's another reason that I feel ready to be an actor now, because I feel so grounded in who I am. I'm not trying to fit myself into little boxes anymore, that I was always fail. I was always failing at whatever box I tried to put myself in, maybe not by anybody else's standard, but I could feel it mm. in my body that I was failing. I don't feel that way anymore. So I've spent a lot of time, particularly over these last six years of big transition since I've gone back to acting, um, questioning the accepted path, the normative path. Um, the linear path. So I think it's something so important that everybody ought to do at some point, whether they're an artist or whether they work in the corporate world, whether they're queer or trans or completely cis and hetero. That's great. If the normative path works for you, wonderful. But I think it's so important that you decide very specifically and individually whether it works for you or what parts of it work for you. Because I think we all fail, we all lose when we just expect that one path is going to work for us because it's the path. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the only path, whatever, what else mm-hmm. could there be? Um, and I think, you know, you can apply that as well to what we were just talking about in terms of the nonlinearity of a career in acting and the stuff that comes up emotionally in that. Um, you know, I was doing so well. I, I booked this, but now I, I haven't had any work for a year. I've barely had an edit. Oh, no, what am I going to do? I'm a terrible person. I'm a failure. We know that's not true because we know we're in a nonlinear career and that success is cumulative and not linear. Um, And I think if for any reason at any point we've had the opportunity to examine and question and deconstruct the normative expected path or the normative expected identity, it arms us with a different kind of resilience Mm -hmm that says, well, okay, well, that's the path, but I know who I am. So that's, that might be what is done, but this is what I do. And this is how I do it. And here are what my markers of success Mm. for myself are going to be. You know, so if the, if the normative linear path says, well, success as an actor is, is you should be working all the time and you ought to have a lead on a TV series and have won awards and be top of IMDb and Blah, 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 blah. But that's because most people aren't in the industry when they imagine what, <laughs> what a successful path for an actor looks like. Yeah, then most of us are failing by that standard. But if you know that what success means to you is, hey, six months out of 12 this year, it was acting that paid my rent. I did work I was really proud of. In the months that I wasn't booking anything, I took a class and I improved or I saw other people do work and I was able to identify, that's really cool. I want more of that in my work. Their, their work is beautiful for this reason. If you can define that as success, you're far less likely to get knocked out by the fear and the overwhelm and the burnout and the insecurity, which doesn't mean it won't all still come up. We're in an incredibly vulnerable line of work. But if you're able to identify that and be okay with that and maybe even love that as part of what we do, then you might be able to do it for the long haul. At least that's how it feels for me. Yeah. And I think what what that does and what I'm feeling when I hear you say that is that, you know, because so much of this industry is they tell you there's no control. And what you've just done is redefined not only what success is, but what is control for you. Mm-hmm. And 
that is so powerful because the lack of control is, I think, the most common reason for ending a career, a creative career, at least Mm -hmm. in my experience. But also I think the lack of control is kind of that thing that says, I don't want to start this career because in the career that I have now, I have control and safety. I get the same I get the same amount of money per month. I know this, right? But what you've done is like empowered yourself to say like, no, control is not that. I'm stepping out of what society thinks control is. No, control Mm -hmm. is my own definition of success. And I I love that. That's like juicy. It makes me really happy. (laughs) (laughs) So when you came back into this industry, was there anything that surprised you this time around? Oh, that's such a good question. I don't actually know if I have an answer for that. Um, yeah, I don't know. In a way, I still feel like I haven't entered the industry, and in you know, capital T, capital I, and that's my own insecurity about not having done a lot of film and TV. So I know I will frame that by saying that I know exactly why I feel that way and why I'm particularly feeling this way now. Um, Theater already felt really familiar to me because even though I hadn't been acting for many years, I had had sort of reentered theater through other angles, through producing. Um, Theater was already a community that I was part of. And so it felt a little more seamless to re-enter acting as a theater artist. I already knew most of the people, you know, one way or another. Um, they knew me. They maybe didn't know me as an actor, but they knew me enough to recognize my name and and to be friendly when I came in. I don't know, Janet. I'm trying to come up with a really clever answer for that question, and I honestly don't know if I have one, which in and of itself is really interesting. It's very clever. Yes. (laughs) Maybe not useful for the podcast. I'm like, okay, yeah. This is, what does this mean? Um, Yeah, I don't know. What about, I'm trying to think of what, what advice would you give someone who is contemplating a change, either never having been in this industry before and wanting to test test the waters, or similar to your story, wanting wanting it when they were young and then saying or having external people saying not the responsible career path best of luck and uh then realizing it's something they crave do you have any advice Mm. yeah that there's no rush which again is advice i gave myself so well when going back into theater and now keep forgetting to give myself Mm -hmm. and i'm trying to work more in film and tv but there's no rush like Again, the nonlinearity of this industry, the nonlinearity of this career path that we're on, that is a blessing. That, that to me is a, a huge cushion because it means there is no right time. There's no right way. Whenever you're ready, it will still be there. Whatever age you're at, there will be roles for that age. It's fine. Don't let anybody tell you there aren't roles for such and such an age or such and such a type. I'm so tired of that. Um, yeah, you know, and I think that the advice that I've given that, that I have given, you know, when I've been lucky enough to speak with, with students, um, 
is that you can take your time and you can follow your gut. And if you need to do other things to pay the rent, that is fine. It doesn't mean you're failing at acting. It's the time will come when you get to do more of it. It's just it's just take the pressure off. Mm. There's enough pressure in this industry. We don't need to put it on ourselves. I love that. Yeah. Something you said, and I'd love to expand on it. When you were finishing high school, you were talking about how you didn't know all the different ways that you could be a performer, be an actor, be involved in the world. Can you tell me more about that? Which ones, like, I mean, for for those of us who, again, didn't go to theater school, who don't really know anything more except for I'm sitting waiting for my agent to call me, what other things have you found really fed that creative acting monster? Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good question. Um, Well, I know now that theater schools have much more of a focus on devised work and collective creation. Mm. It wasn't something I was really aware of at the time. I'm sure, you know, I, I, I shouldn't speak at a turn because I really have very little memory of what we did in my high school theater program that I was in. Maybe we did some of that, but I wasn't aware that you could you could make your own work. Hmm. I wasn't aware that you could form your own theater company and write grants or or make your own films. Again, something I know nothing about. But I also didn't know all the ways that like the skills of an actor could get you through the world in general, like, and in ways that are fun. So I say I'm a, I'm a full-time actor because I often forget that I have a part-time job because I like my part-time job so much. I bartend at Buddies and Bad Times Theater, you know, so I'm still in the theater building and I get to be a part of this amazing legacy of queer arts. I mean, Buddies and Bad Times is the largest and longest running queer theater in the world. And when I'm bartending there, like, yeah, that's my part-time job, and I'm not playing a part. I'm not being an actor, but like, I sort of am, you know? <laughs> I get to use all those skills, and I get to make people really happy, and then they give me money. It's fabulous. It's a great exchange. I would recommend it to anybody. Be a bartender at a gay bar. It's a great way to use your skills. <laughs> I literally forget I have another job. You know, I'll talk all the time about bartending. Be like, yeah, yeah, I'm a full-time actor. <laughs> I forget because it's so much fun. I wouldn't do it for free, but they give me yeah. money. They give me money, so it's great. I do, it. but you know, and so that's one example for me of ways that, like, the ways that I pay my rent are part of who I am as an actor. They they don't need to be totally separate. Um, and I think I don't totally know how I'm going to tie this in, but I'm going to start the sentence and hope that it comes together somewhere because we both at different points in this conversation have brought up you know, the community aspect and how scarcity, scarcity mentality makes you afraid and jealous and resentful and angry. And that is a really hard place to exist in a community where we actually really need each other. Mm-hmm. And I think I was really scared of that when I was 18. That was another huge factor for why I didn't go because I was afraid that I wouldn't be good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I had been one of the one of the top in my class in high school And then what if I became a little fish in a big pond? I was so scared of that. And that made me hate everybody else who was auditioning, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, people around Canada whom I did not know, but I hated them because they might be better than me. And so another way that I think you can, you know, use, be an actor and be happy is to be part of a community and I don't totally know where I'm going with this, but I think it's somewhere good <laughs> if we keep talking. 
but it's, you know, it's part of like the reframing, you know, part of getting rid of that scarcity mentality and starting to think as other actors, uh, think of other actors as your colleagues, as your partners in crime, as your community members. I feel really lucky being uh, in the particular theater community that I'm in because of that, because I get to be surrounded by a lot of people who make their own work, who are always developing new work, who do who do unexpected things, who do who have movement-based practices or poetic practices. Um, and so because of that, are always bringing in different artists to help them create their work, whether it's from scratch or they're bringing in people to do the first reading. Um, I've had the opportunity recently to edit the first draft of a friend's novel because we know each other as actors and we trust each other's opinions and insights into the theatricality of a story, whatever form that takes. So I guess all this by way of saying, acting, you know, in oh, in the way that we know, which is that, you know, you wait by the phone, your agent calls, you go into the audition, somebody chooses you. That particular way of thinking about the industry, that breeds the scarcity mentality. And that breeds the fear and the jealousy. But if we have an opportunity to think about the skills we have and all the ways we can use them, all the ways we can offer them without somebody else having to choose us, and we can make that a part of making our community stronger, a part of building friendships and building trust and building allyship and building activism, um, it's suddenly, you know, you're not waiting for people to pick you. You're saying, how can I contribute? How can I make people happy? How can I make my community better? How can I help my friends and my community with the skills that I have? As well as how can I pay my rent with the skills I have? Because God knows it's important. We live in late capitalism. It is a hellscape and rent needs to get paid. Um, yeah. I think I went on a big tangent, but I think we eventually I, got I to the point. It. I love it. <laughs> much i'm like i'm like trying to ground my feet because i'm just like I'm like vibrating it's so good and it's so for me and not to like me that like be like me but like the the competition aspects of just life was something that was ingrained in me again scarcity mindset financial insecurity it comes mm-hmm. from tell me about the relationship you have with your parents therapist right oh yeah but like that competition aspect was through out and i was raised for 30 years of my life to say that's good Mm. oh my god see how you got into medical school it's because you're so competitive right yeah you go into the library because you you, knock down everybody else who was below you You know how many people applied you're the cream of the cream right like and so competitive even though I went to like the most liberal artsy fartsy medical school, go Marauders at McMaster, like, <laughs> there's still competition and they yeah. still ingrain it in you. I mean, I played competitive sports. Like the only place where competition, and I was that jolted into reality about it, the only place where competition did not feed me is in acting. And more specifically, mm. when I started doing improv. And I'd start and be like, I'm going to be the best in this class. Like, (laughs) yes. No, like, this is not how it works. works. It's like, there's nothing good about it at all. And the deep programming I have to do and I'm trying to do has been terrifying because I'm like, 
great. Now I have no skills. If I can't compete, what the hell am I supposed to mm-hmm. be doing? Mm-hmm. Being passive? No. The opposite of not com- of, of competition is not passivity, right? It's it's such an it's interesting community. community. It's community, right? Yeah. The opposite of competition is it's community. community. It's a beautiful thing. And like the the curiosity that comes with no competition. And Ooh, I love that word, curiosity. Oh, it's just it again. It makes me. Again, I have to stop with the like regret of my last decades of life yes. where it was so competitive and isolatory. But like it's so exciting to realize that I don't need to fight anymore, <laughs> that mm-hmm. everyone else in this creative community is benefiting from community. But not only that, the medical community that I live in and was told I needed to fight tooth and nail claw also benefits from this community. (laughs) And I think we're slowly realizing that as we all burn out and we're saying, why are we burning out? Was because we're not community-based anymore. Like we need to learn for so often we've been like, we are better than because we are not the artsy creatives, hippies. Now it's finally this realization, I hope, I'm trying, of being like, we had it all wrong. Like, the hippies are doing it right. There's this beautiful (laughs) book called How the Hippies Saved Physics. And it's like, it's all about this. Like, it's, anyway, now I'm on a tirade. But it's been a a fascinating realization of, like, nothing about competition gets anyone ahead ever in the long run i feel really similarly and i want to pick up on something you said where you know we were saying the opposite of competition is community but then you also said it brought this curiosity to your life and to your practice because i think i'm actually a very non-competitive person by nature like almost (laughs) anti-competitive I never did any sports. It's because I was bad at sports. I had childhood asthma and an undiagnosed visual spatial learning disability. Couldn't catch a ball to save my life. So I won't say that I was just, you know, so altruistically not interested in competition that I didn't do sports. But but I'm very non-competitive by nature. And I think as a younger person, uh, as a young actor, as a teenager, that when I started to feel competition and drama um I just thought, well, I, I don't want to be a part of it. I don't. I would rather not be a part of this. I don't want to be around people who operate this way. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a factor that contributed to my leaving. Again, one of many, many, many factors. Um, but I think that was a part of it was just the feeling of being in competition made me feel sick. Mm-hmm. It made me feel jealous and afraid in a way I did not like. I think there are also huge ways that gender ties into that. And maybe that's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. But back when I was you know, quote unquote, competing against quote unquote, other girls, I was always going to fail because I'm not a girl. And it felt bad. And I always felt like they knew something I didn't and they were something I wasn't, which honestly is true. Right. Because I'm not right. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, so that's a big thing going back to acting and being able to not being in the wrong category is huge in terms of confidence. But I think that I think removing myself from the competition, such as it was, was the right move at that point. I think it was the only move because I'm still a very non-competitive person. And so now having gone back into the industry, having been back for six years, 
you know, it's great. I can embrace the fact that I'm non-competitive because I, I don't feel like I'm up against, quote unquote, up against anybody else for parts. Um, you know, I'm going to every room just showing them who I am. And if I'm right for it, great. And if I'm not for it, right for it, great. That's fine. It's not about me. But I think that what's come now, rather than seeing the competition, feeling others' very understandable competitiveness, and going, I want to remove myself from that. I don't want to be a part of this game. I've been able to approach it with a lot more curiosity. Mm. I think you were spot on in identifying that. And it's curiosity about myself, because I can't know what anybody else is thinking. I can't know what a casting director is thinking. I can't know what any other redhead in the room is thinking. But I can have that curiosity about myself, which is, okay, what do I bring to this? Mm. You know, what are the ways that I relate to this role? What are what are things I'm proud of in the work that I did? What can I learn from other people who are, you know, I'm not going to say who are better than I am because it's what we do is so intangible. Um, it's You can't quantify and say better or worse, but you can say somebody is doing something that I really love and I would love to be able to do that in my way. I can't do it their way, but how do I capture what I love about their work in my work? And to have that curiosity um, has made me feel more excited about seeing other people who are really good mm. as opposed to feeling jealous or resentful or scared that I'm not good enough. God knows I still do. Like I'm talking from a high horse as if I never feel these negative emotions, but more often than not, and certainly more often in the past. And I can't even imagine had I been in theater school at 18, 19, how jealous and scared and resentful and insecure I would have felt. But more often now I am able to look at somebody who's really, really good and who makes me feel a little jealous and go, okay, what can I learn from them? Cool. Cool. That feels good. Again, that feels like contributing to a community. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. I think there is an almost an expectation that I know I felt this in medicine and I feel feel it sometimes when I talk to artists and when that is now my approach and I recognize my jealousy I recognize my envy and I go turn again that's just information Mm -hmm. what can you learn from this and what's your curiosity and then I think it's especially and I know there's a gendered aspect to this as well too I think especially other women are expecting reactivity from another woman Hmm. and they're expecting the almost like the cattiness, the fight, and they're kind of like, huh. right, right. But when you, when somebody comes at them with curiosity and being like, wow, I love what you just did there. Tell me more. Oh, that's mm-hmm. a really interesting point. And tell me more as opposed to, I don't believe what you have to say. I don't ever fight about it. There's a shock and almost like, oh, oh, you're actually interested in me and what I have to say, which I, it's funny. I'm like, oh, I love when that happens because I'm like, <laughs> but uh, tricked you. But also, because that's, that's a win. But then again, that I think is just moving the, yeah. the pendulum, moving the, it forward, moving society forward. The realization that we don't have to compete with each other. We get to yeah. be curious about each other and learn about each other. And again, I know there's the gendered aspect to it about how, you know, the world makes a lot of money when women fight with each other. Absolutely. But it just feels so good, even also seeing the shock and the excitement that comes from a person I'm talking to, who they're like, oh my God, somebody's actually genuinely interested 
in learning more about me and my process. And it's so sad how rare that is. Absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah. I think we're we're made to feel like this industry is very individualistic. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. Not at its best. Not if we want to have sustainable careers and good relationships, you know, professional, personal, romantic relationships. You know, it can't be individualistic. Mm-hmm. Even though the work we do is very internal and whatever, like you have to think that we're in a community and we have to be learning from one another and we have to be lifting each other up. You know, if I'm not right for something, I'm going to put you forward for it. Mm-hmm. Like who benefits from that? Everybody. Yep. Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> you know, yeah. nobody benefits from trying to stay in our own little bubbles. Exactly. I think it's, and especially, and I know I wax poetic about this on a lot of episodes and I say I wax poetic on a lot of episodes, <laughs> especially in a small industry like Canada. When we're trying, yeah. especially in a small industry like Toronto, where we're trying to build this baby of uh, of uh, Hollywood North, and we're up against juggernauts like New York, LA, we cannot be competitive against each other because we're competing against these juggernauts. And the last thing we could, last thing we should be doing is, you know, thinking that. Every single rule, if I don't get it, it's taken away from me and there'll be Mm, nothing left. Like it's not pie, right? There's enough slices for everyone. It just, it doesn't make sense and it doesn't grow a community of creatives. And then that's just how we fail, right? It's how we don't gain the respect. It's how we, you know, if we just keep fighting each other, it's just not going to work. It never works. Like history has shown that in other industries, doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have anything you are looking forward to coming up? Ooh. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm going on tour in the fall uh, with a forum theater project that I'm really excited about. It's with Theater of the Beat. And they're such a wonderful company. You know, forum theater um, is, for those who don't know about it, is a style of theater developed in the 70s to address social issues. So it's a type of um, of dramatic improv. You start with a with a play that deals with a particular kind of harm. And usually the plays are short. And you play it through once. And then a facilitator will guide the audience to uh, to jump in and to intervene and to try to change this stop this harm from happening if possible and then the actors have the opportunity to play off that and to show them different outcomes and sometimes it can feel like this week on a very special episode of blossom um but but this this particular company this particular group of plays i'm so excited for um i think that they're so well written they're funny and they're nuanced and painful um and really take a take an unflinching look at at certain types of social harms. And I'm excited to go on tour. I mean, God, what a cool thing to get to do as an actor. You know, I love Toronto. I was born and raised in Toronto and I've lived other places and I'm so happy that I've landed back here. I can't imagine living permanently anywhere else. Sorry, Vancouver. Um, But I love that as an actor, I have the opportunity to go spend time other places. And with this particular project, because it's very community engaged, we're going to be building with community members everywhere we go. I don't have the tour schedule yet, so I don't know exactly where we're going. But my guess is it's going to be some smaller communities Mm -hmm. along the way. 
And we're going to have the opportunity to meet people there and engage with them and have some really interesting conversations with them and literally play with them as part of this, um, as part of the forum. I'm really excited about that. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous. That sounds terrifying. The improv. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Like, bring it on. Look, I like being scared. I will rephrase. I like being scared in theater because I feel very confident about my abilities. Make me scared in a film and TV context, I will cry. Uh, (laughs) But we'll be on stage with a live audience. Yeah, bring it on. I'm up for anything. Well, as soon as you know um, the tour schedule, you have any information, let me know and I'll put it in the show notes below so people can. Absolutely. Yes, I will gladly do that. I know we're going to have a bunch of Ontario dates as well. Fabulous. So you mentioned at the at the top. Your parents were actors, they were in the community, but you had family members who were like, maybe not the most responsible career choice. What would you say your like parents, loved ones, guardians, how would they describe what you do for a living now? Hmm. All right, so it, to be fair, it was my mom who <laughs> was giving me that message. She uh, was a former actor, and at the time that I was you know, around in my late teens and getting ready to maybe audition for theater school, she had left the industry. And so she had very fair reasons, very fair reasons for thinking that this was not, um, not the right path. Now, I think that she more than anyone can see the difference in the way I approach this business and my career and the industry now as I did versus how I did as a teenager and how I would have had I got into it, um, you know, more professionally and in a more focused way at 18. I see, and you know, this isn't just me surmising, like we've had these conversations. She's able to see how different my approach is now, how grounded I am, you know, that I, I'm, I don't tend to get caught up in the drama of the industry, you know, and that's that non-competitive part of me, but, you know, I'm able to deal with that better now. Um, That I know when things aren't about me, which they almost never are, as it turns out. Um, And I think, you know, I've had, I've had over a decade to prove to her, to myself, to anybody who cares, which should be nobody but me, but, you know, uh, I've been able to prove that I'm a responsible person. You know, I, as you said, I can pay my bills. I have I've ticked that baseline of being a functional adult in capitalism. Um, and I think that has given me sort of internally the freedom, um, you know, to say, OK, I'm ready. I'm ready to do this now. I'm ready to take on a little instability because I know I can surf it. Um, but I know that my my family can see that, especially my mom. You know, that was the biggest journey was um, was for us to to figure out a way to be uh, to be sort of happy for each other <laughs> about our career paths. And she has actually ended up back in the industry. I want to give her a shout out because in a, in a, the way of mothers and children, uh, probably the reason that we fought so much when I was younger is we are on very similar paths in our mm-hmm. lives. She was an actor. She left the industry. She has now come back in her 70s uh, working as a dialect coach. And she's so good, Janet. Oh, my God. She's so good. She uh, she can do anything, but she specializes in working with 
actors and other professionals uh, for whom English is not their first language. Mm. And so they have accents from other regions and other languages. Um, and they want to, if not lose those accents entirely, they want to be able to be better understood as if actors, you know, they may need to work on a general American, general Canadian, mm. and she specializes in working with them. And she's so good at it. Cool. And so we're in a, in a strange way, we're in very similar places, you know, having been out of the game for a long time, and now coming back to it with a huge amount of perspective. Mm. So we've been able to be really supportive of each other at this point in both of our careers, which means a huge amount to me, given that, you know, me wanting to be an actor as a younger person was a source of tension for us. Mm. I'm, I'm proud of us, and I'm proud of her. That's really, really special. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. I always like to ask because it's a bit more of a fun question. Do you have any funny? No, we're not allowed to have. I fun. know we're only going to talk about no fun. the patriarchy and capitalism <laughs> <laughs> and pie. And pie. It's not pie. The world is not pie. <laughs> Sometimes I wish the world were pie. Oh, me too. I could go for a strawberry rhubarb. Yeah. Hey, yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah. Do you have any favorite on set or on stage or on? in acting class, any favorite stories or memories? Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, I'll tell you, you know, sometimes when instinct takes over and you just don't know what you say. I was doing a play in Ottawa. What year is it? Four, five years ago now? Uh, and it was a fabulous play. And it was, it dealt with some really meaty material Um and it was a, a play by a fabulous playwright, Dara Title, who's a Jewish playwright, and all, often her plays involve a lot of great Jewish content. I was uh, the only Jewish member of the cast, and I was not playing a Jewish character. Okay, so lots of other uh, non-Jewish actors playing Jewish roles and dealing with some explicitly Jewish material. Anyway, uh, so there's a scene transition uh, where we there's been a diner scene, and we're transitioning to a scene that happens in a medical clinic. So part of that scene transition is I pick up the, uh, you know, the, the plates and the bowls and, and I take them off stage and I put them on a table and then I re-enter for the next scene. Well, I tripped and I dropped the plates and the bowls, the plate broke, the glass broke, and in the dark, the one Jewish actor who's playing a non-Jewish role goes, Mazel Tov! <laughs> <laughs> sometimes the wiring just goes too deep. You can't help it. <laughs> I'm told nobody in the audience actually heard me say it, but I, in my mind, I got on a chair and shouted muzzle tub at the top of my lungs. All of Ottawa And I broke the glass. All of Ottawa heard it. Oh, there's a Jew there somewhere. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. Yep. <laughs> I yep. like anxiety by proxy, but also that's really funny. <laughs> it was, yeah, you, I kind of just had to roll with it. Yeah. <laughs> it was oh. more worried about that than about the broken glass on no the ground. Kidding, yeah. <laughs> Show must go on. <laughs> hey, absolutely. <laughs> Do you have any final words of wisdom or advice? Oh, Lord. No, I mean,. Advice. I kind of, it was such a good question. I've never thought Sorry. of that before. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, look, if you know who you are, you're a better actor. That's all. Mm. That's been, that has been my life lesson. If you know who you are, then you can do something with it. And it took me a really long time to figure out who I was. 
And now I know, and I'm still learning every day, and I'm going to learn things a year from now that will make me look back and go, wow, I had no idea what the heck I was talking about on that podcast. Um, but I at least now have a much clearer sense of who I am than I ever have before. And that makes me able to do this work better than I've ever been able to before. And, you know, for me, that has had to do with career path. It's had to do with gender. A huge part of it had to do with gender. A lot of it had to do with sexuality, all that. But I think it's true for anybody, regardless of who you are. You got to know who you are. This is very hard work to do. It's hard to stand out and it's hard to be proud of your work. And if you know who you are and then somebody doesn't cast you, then it's okay. Then you just were right for it. You can't be trying to fit yourself into boxes. It, it just hurts. Find out who you are and be an actor. That's my amendment to the... Is it Dolly Parton who said, find out who you are and do it on purpose? Oh, I don't Somebody, know, but that's nice. I don't know. God, we got to Google that. I don't... Maybe it's not Dolly Parton. Somebody fabulous said that. Find out who you are and do it on purpose. I'll say find out who you are and be an actor. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And thank you, Nessa, for being my guest this week. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to share your story with me. And thank you for the life-changing, I know that sounds dramatic, but I truly believe it, life-changing, memorable, joyous experience that you gave me, honestly, when we filmed together this past weekend. I will never forget it. I, we drove, I drove them home and we both talked about how we were going to journal all the feelings that we were feeling about what an incredible day it was. And I truly, truly did that. I came home and just wrote everything down because I just don't want to forget the feeling of being on set with you. Ugh, an absolute, absolute joy and privilege getting emotional again. Okay, say your goodbyes, Janet. Thank you everyone for tuning in and I hope you will tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye. <laughs>